face to face. In the same way that he ascended out of our sight, he's coming back. If we see him as he is, oh, come quickly, Lord Jesus. I want to see the Lord. I want to see the Lord. And if you have your Bibles, if you'd like to go with me tonight to the book of Ephesians, chapter 5, I'll read a handful of verses here, but I don't think it'll take very long to get through them before you're seated. Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 1, the Word of God says, Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love, as Christ also hath loved us, and hath given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as becoming saints, neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know, that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater, hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience, be not ye therefore partakers with them. I don't want to be like them. I don't want to be like those that aren't going to make heaven their home. Verse 8 says, For you were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. For it's a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret, but all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light. It's the light that shows them. For whatsoever doth make manifest is light. Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. The scripture says, In him is light. There's no darkness at all. Truly he has called you and I to be that same light. In a dark, dark world. I want to preach again tonight the blueprint of the church. Amen. Would you lift up your hands and voices and worship God with me? Lord Jesus, I love you. God, I worship your name, for there is no other name. No other name under heaven given among men for God was saved. Lord, there's nobody like you, God. There's nobody like you, Jesus. We pray and let your light shine in us and through us tonight and every day that we live that we might be lighted to those that are in darkness. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen, amen. Praise God. You may be seated. Thank you for standing for the word of the Lord. Amen. Over the past few weeks, just to very, very quickly summarize, and I guess before I summarize, 
I want to say this before I forget to say this. I do apologize for not bringing the notes that I promised you uh, last week about working at the altar. I had every intention of getting to it over the past week, and I have not gotten there. Uh, so I have not forgotten. I just haven't gotten it. So before long, uh, I will try to do my best to bring that, as I mentioned to you. Uh, so the past few weeks, we first talked about our perspective towards God and towards the church, that the scripture tells us that we need to come to God with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, which means that before we are to come and engage in this thing we call church, I know we are the church, I know that's what the body of Christ is, but nevertheless this series is all about what we do in the church. But as we come to the church, we've got to get ourselves clean. We've got to be right with God. We've got to pay a visit to the labor ourselves. We've got to go and get our hearts cleaned out and get ourselves prepared to come and do the work of God. And after we do that, and it really has part of doing that, when you look into that water, when that water is the Word of God as we know it to be, as we look into that water, it shows us what we are. It gives us our reflection. And the Word of God tells us what measures up the holiness and what don't. It tells us what's pleasing to God and what's not. And so we see ourselves, and we also see the grace and the mercy of God that has brought us from where we used to be to where we are now. And so it is that perspective that provokes us, as the Scripture commands us to, to weep between the porch and the altar. Our perspective towards sinners needs to drive how we minister to those, those people. Because we always have in the forefront of our mind where God brought us from. And we don't ever become better than them. We're just saved by the grace of God. And so when somebody comes to his house, when somebody comes to an altar, our perspective has got to be that when we see them, we see ourselves. And we know that that same God that saved us came to save them. When we do that, when we have that right understanding, then it will also provoke us to do the work of the altar. We are called to work at the altar. I know there are times that we have to go down to the altar, lay a sacrifice on ourselves. I know there are times we have to go down there and we have to seek something for ourselves. But the more mature you become in God, the more of those things that altar in your house is going to get fixed. And when we come to the house of the Lord and there are souls that need to touch God and they don't know how, they don't know where, they don't know what, but you do. It becomes our responsibility to do the work of the altar. If the priest did not lay the sacrifice in order, if it wasn't arranged exactly the way God wanted it to be, Nobody's sins were getting put under that blood. But if we can lead somebody else to truth, if we can lead somebody else to repentance, we have saved a soul from hell. And so tonight, we will get to go inside. You know, you go house shopping sometimes and you drive down the road and you see them on the side. 
by the road, but it's different than going inside. Right. You know, sometimes looks are deceiving you on the outside. Man, so tonight we get to go inside the tabernacle or inside the temple. Now, now keep in mind that this is not really a series on all the wonders of the tabernacle, although we do hit on a few of them from time to time. Uh, but if the pattern that God has created for us has never really changed, then we need to make sure that the things we do in this house are fulfilling the purpose that God had in that house. Because God, Jesus Christ, was the same yesterday, today, and forever. So I want to make sure that we still do the work of God, even in 2021. Now, when you walk into the tabernacle, and remember, you had to be a priest to do this. All those other center folk on the other side of the altar aren't coming any closer. You had to be a priest. Thank God we are called to be a holy priesthood. Thank the Lord today that we are able to come to his house, lift up our hands and our voices, and begin to feel the presence of God. So when you walk into the door of the tabernacle or the temple, there were three things that you would see. There would be three things that would be in that room that you just walked into. On the left side of where you're standing would have been the candlestick. And on the right side of where you were standing would have been the table of showbread. And directly in front of you would have been the altar of incense. And I know that most of y'all know all this stuff because, you know, you've read your Bibles and you've heard preaching on the tabernacle before. So, you know, we could go on for weeks, for months, maybe for years, talking about all the significance of the wonders of everything and every minute detail of the tabernacle and what it could mean to you and I, and some of you would even shout about it. We're going to simplify it tonight. We're going to keep from going that far in, although I'm going to throw in a couple of worry. So let's talk about how it relates to what we do in the church today. So there are three things that these three pieces of furniture provided. And this is getting, these are one word, one word descriptions. So I'm simplifying it as much as we can simplify. There were three pieces of furniture. They each had a purpose. And here's those three purposes. They provided light, they provided bread, and they provided aroma. Light, bread, and aroma. When people come into the house of God today, when they come in contact with the church outside the building, when they come in contact with the church inside the building, each and every one of them and each and every one of us needs to come in contact with light, with bread, and with aroma. Because God's pattern has not changed. So tonight, because there's only so many hours left in the day, we're just going to go through the first one. We're going to talk about light, which is why I read the scriptures that I did to you. So we're going to talk about the fact that the candlestick provided light to the inside of the tabernacle. Now, the candlestick very simply provided illumination. It lit things up. Anybody ever had the power go out before? Yes. Anybody ever felt pretty foolish when you walked by your light switch for the 28th time and you flipped it on and it still didn't work? Because you know that on a regular day, that's the only way you get to see. That's the only way you get light until the sun comes up. Now, I know we've got iPhones and all, all kinds of other things that glow in our house today, but, but in the old days, when the power went out, it was as dark. If it, wasn't, if it was a new moon, you just didn't see a whole lot of the house if the lights didn't come on. 
which so that's very simply put what this candlestick did. If there was no light on this candlestick, if this candlestick didn't exist, you couldn't see anything. Because there were no windows and there were no doors. There were curtains, there were, uh, there were tapestries, hangings, I guess as you would call them, that they went over the top and the sides. There was more than one layer. There were curtains that were in the front that you just walked through to get into that house. And whenever you went inside that house, the curtain was closed behind you. There was no open house in the house of God. There was no everybody, you know, come by and see what it looks like to be a priest day. None of those things happened. When you went inside the tabernacle, the curtain was closed behind you. And if the candlestick wasn't there, you would not be able to see. Those curtains were thick enough to block out all the light that was around it. The only light was coming from the candlestick. Folks, the only light that is in this world today is coming from the church. This world is filled with darkness. This world is getting darker by the hour and by the minute. The only light that remains in this world is the church of the living God. The candlestick was the only thing that provided light. In addition to that, it's kind of an interesting little tidbit here about this particular piece of furniture in that it was very ornate. It's interesting because the others really were not. The others were, in all honesty, pretty plain. There wasn't a lot of decoration or adornment that went all those things. They were made out of very valuable materials, but they weren't very decorative. They weren't very ornate. But the candlestick was different. It had flowers and it had bowls and it had knots. And even the theologians aren't real sure what knots were. But nonetheless, by these descriptions, it is very evident that it would have taken very skilled workmen a long time and a lot of effort to make it. You didn't just go into the shop behind the house and come out with the candlestick. It was something that was very meticulously done. I wish that I could, I wish I would have had time to go dig in years and years of CDs to find this, but, but I remember years ago Brother Moses was here and he was talking about the preparations even you know, 20 years ago that were being made in the land of Israel for the temple to be rebuilt. And he said at that time, he said that they had a, a horrible time trying to make this piece of furniture. That all of the others, they had prepared those things. You know, they, they, they had prepared the, the different or the, the utensils and the different things that would be used for the tabernacle or the temple when the day came when they would rebuild it and offer sacrifice to God again. But every time the craftsmen tried to make this candle, it kept falling apart. When they would make it by the dimensions that the Bible gave it, the, you know, gold is not a very heavy metal. You don't believe that? Just, you know, go take your gold wedding ring and, and smash it and see how well it holds up. You've got platinum and you've got a better chance. But gold is a very soft metal. That's why they put it on teeth. Nobody know that, did you? Some of y'all. Some of y'all. Gold is a very soft metal, and so when you would make this candlestick by the dimensions according to Scripture, it, it, it would not—it would not did not have the structure to hold the weight up, and they continued to have trouble building it, which really spoke to the fact that the Bible had already said that God put wisdom in these craftsmen, that God anointed them to make these pieces of furniture, and however they did it, in whatever way they did, it was something that was that was divinely given to them. It wasn't just something.
church and the living God. There are a lot of things that we can be taught. There are a lot of things that we can learn. There are a lot of things we can be educated by. But there is another aspect of the church that only comes from heaven. That's why we're born again on the water and of the Spirit. The water's already down here on earth. We can take care of that all by ourselves. One man can put another man under and speak the name of Jesus and baptize him of his sins. But if he's ever going to come up out of that watery grave and live again, he's got to be filled with the Holy Ghost. We need divine ability to be the church. But it also tells us that it was still intricate work to be done. It was still very labor intensive. It was still very difficult work to be done. we got to stop thinking that God just wants us when it's time to have church to just show up at the house. Crack open the soul book, see whatever it falls open to. Fire up the music, just go with whatever we you know, feel led to do. I'm not talking about, I understand we are led to do things at times, but there's sometimes that, you know, a long time ago. We'd like to chalk things up to be a lead, but it wouldn't really be a lead. It was we didn't think about it until we got here. It wasn't a divine inspiration to drop the soul book open, it was gravity. Because we didn't take the time to prepare ourselves for it. There's nothing that you will ever find in Scripture that would give you the appearance that God does not want His people to put everything they have into doing the very best that they can do. For the house of God. We'll get into more of that in just a little bit. So, what what does any of this mean to us? Why is this significant to you and I? Well, go back to the book of Revelation, the place that y'all been in for the past five weeks on Sunday, and some of y'all are glad we finally got finished with Revelation chapter one and verse nineteen, kind of where we started all that, or right before where we started all that. It says, "Write the things which thou hast seen, and the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter." The mystery of the seven stars, which thou sawest in thy right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven candlesticks, which thou sawest, are the seven churches. This is not accidental. That there's a connection here in the book of Revelation when God says, I'm going to call my church a candlestick because all the way back there in Scripture, we already have the picture painted of the purpose of the candlestick in the house of God. Now go with me back to Exodus chapter 25 where this candlestick came from to begin with. When God was giving Moses the instructions of how it ought to be made, you know that way, but I told you, Brother Moses said they had a hard time, hard time making. Exodus chapter 25 and verse 31 says, And thou shalt make a candlestick of pure gold. Now, now I, I should have said this before I started because any of y'all like things being grammatically correct? Where is this candlestick? How? All the ungodly places in the world to go. Alabama. I at least got Maddie on my side. She's, you know, she, she, she at least gets picked off on me from, from, from grammar. So I want to see if any of you grammarians can pick up on this before I tell you what's here. And thou shalt make a candlestick 
of pure gold. Of beaten work shall the candlestick be made. His shaft and his branches, his bowls, his knobs, and his flowers shall be of the same. Six branches shall come out of the sides of it, three branches of the candlestick out of the one side, and three branches of the candlestick out of the other side. Three bowls made like the almonds with a knob and a flower in one branch, and three bowls made like almonds in the other branch with a knob and a flower. So in the six branches that come out of the candlestick. So did any grammarian catch it? Very first verse. Thou shalt make a candlestick. We're talking about a thing. We're talking about a piece of furniture. We're talking about a candlestick that you put oil into and you set it on fire to put light inside of the room. But then the scripture, and this, this comes from the Hebrews, I don't think that the English folks just made a mistake. It starts saying his shaft, his branches, his bowls, his knobs, his flowers shall be of the same. Why the personal pronoun? You don't see that in all the other things. You don't see it talking about his, his horns of the altar and his staves of the altar and you know his uh, railing around the top of the altar. But for the candlestick, you see this personal pronoun, his, but calls it all the way back there. Folks, this is how amazing God's word is. All the way back here, it is giving up this little idea, this little hint that there is a, that there's somebody coming. It, it's not just going to be a thing, but it's going to be a he. It's going to be a who. It's going to be a person. And we know who that person is. We know that John said that the word that became flesh, that was the same God of Genesis all the way back to the book of Revelation, that he was the light of the world. That only got you excited. This is even better. Exodus chapter 27 and verse 20. How did the land provide light? So now we've got this connection to Jesus. We've got this, this personal pronoun being used. How did the lamp provide light? Well, we know how it provided light. It had to come from the oil. Exodus 27 and 20 says that thou shalt command the children of Israel that they bring thee pure olive oil beaten for the light to cause the lamp to burn always. Oh, come on, folks. Y'all supposed to be spiritual. It don't get any better than this. The Bible goes on to explain, and we see that the most prominent part of this candlestick, it wasn't this, this sort of equal thing where everything had equal size of all the branches. The shaft that was in the middle was bigger, it was stronger, it was the structure that held up all the branches. There you go. The branches of the lamp only provided light. If oil flowed from the shaft, it was the shaft that supported and supplied the branches with the light. What kind of oil was it? It was olive oil. How did you get it? It had to be beaten. Sweat, 
And oh, by the way, you had to you had to see the altar first and foremost anyway, which was a really massive grill where they killed things. That's what you saw on the outside. But everything became different about the house of God when you got on the inside. Yes, amen. Folks, this world don't think much of anything about us. No. Nothing about us to the world makes sense. When they see the church, all they see is a group of people that can't have and can't do and can't go to do all the wonderful things that they feel like this world has to offer. Yes, amen. But that don't bother us a whole lot. Because once you get to the inside of the church, yes, amen. You realize nothing out there has what they've got in here. Yes, amen. Nothing in the tents of the wicked could ever be better than one day spent in the church. Yes, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Everyone was there to show the person in the tabernacle the beauty of the house. Check this out. This, this is, God is good. Yes. Chapter 5, verse 13. Ye are the salt of the earth. But if the salt hath lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden underfoot of men. What's the significance of this? Well, we, we know salt preserves. You know, we know salt makes things taste better. We know salt changes the chemical makeup of the things that it's put on. We understand all of that. But there's something else you need to know about salt. That's right, sister. <laughs> Every sacrifice placed on the altar had to be offered with salt. Which meant... It didn't matter how good a sacrifice it was. Yes, if it man. wasn't offered with salt, it wasn't accepted. Yes. It wasn't going to work. You can't just be born again by yourself. You have to be a part of the church. Yes, amen. As Jesus said, you're the salt of the earth. Yes, amen. And the salt has got to have its savor so that it can fulfill its purpose. But do you know what happens? Yes. When the church fulfills its purpose, yes. it does the work of the altar, and a soul gets to walk in the door to the house of God. Yes, amen. The New Testament. Uh, some of y'all 
Lord. Yes, the amen. The Bible tells us that God was going to restore the tabernacle of David. The tabernacle of David was not Solomon's temple, and it wasn't Moses' tabernacle. That's right. The tabernacle of David was a tent that he made for the Ark of the Covenant because the tabernacle had been rebuilt, which meant that people could walk up and see it. Yes, amen. Behold it. The door got, the curtains got pulled back. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. to the presence of God. We are the Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 Yes, amen. Yes, 
entered into his heart to build a house for God. God knew, Solomon knew, God doesn't fit inside a house. But they wanted to make sure that all of the rest of the world saw yes, the testimony amen. of how they felt yes, amen. about their God. That's what our church should speak. Number two, the light allows us to perform our duties properly. What does that mean? The light illuminated the table and the altar. In addition to that, it illuminated the embroidered cherubim that were all across the curtains. You'd never see the beauty of the tabernacle if it weren't for the light. And you'd never get your work done if it weren't for the light. You'd be fumbling around in the dark trying to do your work if there was no light. I forget the old preacher from you know, a long time, a few hundred years before any of us, of course, but he made the statement. He said, I have so many things to do today that I have resolved to begin this morning with three hours of prayer. That sounds counterintuitive to us. Three hours, or you're going to have to take 20 minutes because I got, I got a lot of stuff to do. But I'm not saying you've got to pray three hours in the morning before you go to work, but it establishes a principle. Yes, it does. That we'll never get anything right. That's right. Unless God's shining light on it. That's right. I'm telling tell you from experience, folks. There's been times I've wrestled and wrangled and fought with a problem in the church, and I've done everything I knew how to do, and then come to the realization I hadn't committed enough prayer to it yet. And when I started praying, God fixed it. Yes, there I amen. am, like a foolish man, thinking, why did I do that in the first place? Yes, why amen. Why did God shine some light on in the first place? I don't know what I'm doing. Solomon spoke to God and said, I'm going to go out. Hallelujah. I don't know how to go yet. I don't know what I'm doing. You're going to have to give me an understanding heart. You're going to have to give me wisdom because your people are a great people. You've got to come back to feeling that way about the church and about the house of God. I know we got problems. I know we got weaknesses. But God's people are a great people. God's church is a Yes, amen. We also can learn that we should always be seeking how to do the best that we can do for God. Amen. We should never be content with just fumbling around right. doing right. God's work. There's been times I've known God's work. That's how I felt. I felt like I was just fumbling around and running into stuff. We need the light of God to teach us. Amen. To teach us. We also need each other. Ephesians 5 15 says, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Wherefore be you not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. We should always strive for excellence. Yes, amen. Everything we do for the kingdom of God. We'll tell you, those priests didn't take their job lightly. That's right. Because failure to do it God's way, dire consequences. And although God might not be in the mode right now to strike a whole lot of folks dead with lightning bolts and, and fire coming out of an altar, I'm going to tell you, there's times souls are lost. There's times souls leave the house of God and they're not saved. Because we didn't prepare ourselves That's right, to amen. do the work of God's house. 
Proverbs 4 and 7 says, Wisdom is the principal thing, therefore get wisdom, and with all thy getting, get understanding. Yes. This, this one commentary that I read on this says that, that this is the meaning here, is that you are to, it said, let me catch my place, sorry. It says the first thing is that you are to have, you are to be taught things. You're taught the Word of God. That's what happens for kids. Mm -hmm. You have for a new convert. You're taught the Word of God. And from the teaching, from the learning that we get, from the wisdom that somebody else puts into us, it enables us, through the power of the Spirit, to have greater understanding Amen. of those things that we have learned. Most of y'all know this from experience. There's been times you've been taught things for a long, long time, and they believed them because they were in the book. But then the day came. The Holy Ghost opened up your understanding. Yes, you never amen. Saw that scripture before. Yes, you amen. Three or four times you wondered if somehow you missed it the other 14 times you read through the Bible because it came alive to you today. That's what Solomon's talking about. He said, get wisdom, get, get, get all this from, from those that can teach you, but also get some understanding. Yes, amen. Let the Lord show you the way. And number three, I know I've got to wrap it up tonight. The light reveals. Truth reveals truth. We'll kind of get more into this next week when we go to the other side of the room. But everything in the house of God, everything in our own lives and our families should reflect truth. The light that we shine should illuminate truth and should dispel darkness. John chapter 3, verse 16. Very quickly, my wife will come to music. And it's interesting because this is the world's favorite scripture. This is denominationalism's favorite scripture. John chapter 3 verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. But if we keep reading. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved. It's flashed in the apostolic church. We're not here to condemn the world. We're here to save it. Yes. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation. That light is coming to the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone to do with evil hated the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. This explains a lot of things. Why does the world hate the church? Because we're the light. Why is it that those that want to stay in darkness, hate the church, and reject your witness, because the light reproves the darkness. Yes. The reason the church is, is becoming more and more uncomfortable in this world is because we're supposed to look like Jesus. We're supposed to look like God's original plan that has never changed. Do not we preach and live that 
Man, she looked like a man. Yes, I want you to love a woman. Do we not preach and live the marriages between men and women, and that's the only way we preach that parents should love their children? Children should be obedient to their parents. Yes, amen. Do we not preach and live that we were created to glorify God, to praise Him, to worship Him, to walk in obedience to Him? The only reason people reject the church is because they don't want the light. But those, but those that want to be in the light will run into it. They're more afraid of continuing to live in the darkness than they are for the darkness to expose their sins. That's what happens when you come to an altar. Yes, amen. That's what happens when you lead a soul to an altar. They, they make up their mind. I'd rather go down there and be honest to God. I'd rather get on my knees and come plead before God that I would live one more day in darkness. We are the light. And our light reveals truth. It shows this world what is right and what is wrong. Our lives and the way that we live them, in the way that we exist in this church, must always show this world what is light. What is darkness? And we do it every day that we live. Every place we go, every restaurant we sit at, every grocery store we shop at. We're the light. We have to be that way until Jesus comes. Would you stand to your feet? If you'd like to come to the altar, the altars are open. If you'd like to lift up your hands towards heaven and begin to worship God, then worship the Lord. Let's thank God for being in the church. Let's thank God for the beauty of the house of the Lord. Let's ask God, God, help us. Help us to be the light. Help us to be a witness. Oh, Jesus.